a skeptic was on his way to hear John Wesley preach. On his way, someone stopped him and asked, Where are you going in such a hurry? And he said, I'm going to hear Dr. Wesley speak. And so the person who interrupted the skeptic says, But you don't believe what he believes. And the skeptic says, I know, but he believes it. You don't believe what he believes. That's true. But if I can find someone with conviction and commitment to that conviction, it makes a difference to me. It makes a difference to me. I watched a little piece of the events in Toronto yesterday because of the All-Star game being played there. And the commissioner was at a conference. <laughs> it's, it's, the temperature in Toronto right now is 38 below zero wind chill. And so this reporter said, the next time you have the All-Star game, would you choose somewhere else? And he said this, don't forget that the one who started basketball was born in this country. And the reason he created the game was so that people would have something to do inside because they couldn't be outside. Oftentimes we miss the point. The game has become so big that its purpose has been lost. And we think in terms of doing something that would be more accommodative to me rather than me being displaying something that would make a difference in someone else's life. What we have here in the book of Colossians, in these first few verses that we'll be looking at this morning, and we'll be looking at, at two verses and a part of verse 8, that the, that the spiritual life, the Christian life, is something unique. And if all we are concerned about is how hard it is, we will never display for others the genius of Christianity. Paul had never been to the church in Colossae. Everything he's writing about in this book, he heard from Epaphras. And, and when he heard what was happening to the, to the Colossians, he was so excited that he begins verse 3 by saying, ever since we heard of it, we can't cease but give God thanks. The word thanks in the Greek is always a word that talks about celebrating something. Being excited about something. And I ask the question, am I able to celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life? What God is doing in another church? What God is doing overseas? 
let's, let's look at what it means to celebrate the Christian life. What difference it would, it would make in your life and mine. The first thing that Paul says, there was a sensation to this celebration. A sensation. We give thanks. The word thanks comes from the word which means to be filled with gratitude. He, w- he was feeling something within himself. It, is a, it came from a sense of identifying something that was done by someone else. He said, ever, ever since we heard of what is happening in your lives, what you are displaying in your life, we, we are so thankful. We are grateful to God because He is the one who is doing it in you. And if God is working in you, please remember, you know where Paul was at this time? He was in prison. He was a prisoner. And praise, I have this in my notes, praise trumps circumstances. And I thought, oh, I hope you don't think I'm talking about the... What praise does, it overcomes the environment. The news of what God was doing in another's life filled the apostle with gratitude so that where he was, was not the greatest concern in his life. What God was doing was. (laughs) May I suggest something to you? That the Christian life, the life that you and I are supposed to live as a, as a Christian is something that God does in our lives. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue that work until Jesus comes. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Christian life is not me trying to do the best I can. The Christian life is my experiencing God working in me so that I produce for others what is necessary for their joy. So Paul saying, I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating because of what God is doing in your life. Let let me tell you something, friends. This is something that every minister has to deal with. Because, because in, in our day, we deal with what works. What works. And, and if, if I want all these chairs to be filled on a Sunday morning, I've got to know what works. I've got to know what they're doing down at. Or what they're doing at. And Paul is saying, notice he doesn't even talk about their environment doesn't talk about his environment. It ta- he talks about what God is doing. One of the great saints of the late 19th century was having troubles in his, in his, his church in London, England. He had heard of a young man who had just come into London and within a given time, he became so popular that when his message was preached on Sunday, it was in the London Times on Monday. And this other minister who had been struggling in London became extremely discouraged 
almost critical of what was happening over there. And God began to work in his heart. And this is what he said. I was not released from my spirit until I decided to give God thanks for what he was doing there. I was not released from my own spirit of criticism, of comparison, until I realized that what God is doing there is God who is doing it here. And he began to celebrate what was done in another place. And that has become one of my practices. One of my practices is that part of my Sunday morning is to go to God on the behalf of the churches in this area. And I, I call them by name before God because I realize, my friends, if God is doing it there, it is God who will do it here. And if God is the one doing it, the glory belongs to God and to God alone. The celebrating of the spiritual life. Nobody enjoys a spiritual life unless it is God who is at work. But I want you to see, secondly, the obligation of the celebrant. The obligation. Ever since I heard, I began to pray. Ever since I heard, I began to pray. Have you ever thought of this? That for the spiritual life to begin it takes God. For the spiritual life to progress, it takes prayer. Ever since I heard what God was doing in your life, I keep praying for you that God will continue to do it. I, I sat at my desk and I thought of that. And I thought of, first, the meaning of this word, praying. You know, I, I, I got a call from someone this past week who shared something with me, and I was in transit. And I started to pray as I was on my way. But that was just the beginning of how I pray, because what Paul is talking here about this, this word pray was not something that he was doing while he was doing other things. To be praying here means to be worshiping God to have the sense of who God is and the sense of the need that is there or the victory that is given. And so I am asking God to keep giving what he's giving, to keep doing what he's doing, and I am appealing to God on the behalf of someone else that God would continue his work. And then I looked in the scriptures. We are told to pray for one another. If there's a member of our congregation going through a difficult time, are you critiquing what they're doing or praying for them? You know, Lois and I were in Vancouver, British Columbia some years ago, and someone came and asked for some money. And um, this isn't going to the nursery, is it? That's, that's where she is, in the nursery. Down upstairs, and and she never. Okay, if she does, I'll know who told her. <laughs> and um, I gave the person some money, and she was a little bit livid. 
for me doing it. Not because she didn't want to help. But she was working in a situation not too long before in which she saw how people who claimed to have needs were abusing the system that was providing for them. I wasn't working with that, so I just gave. She, she, she repented afterwards. I thought of Peter. I thought of Peter. Jesus knew that Peter was going to betray him. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus said to Peter, Satan is after you. He's going to sift you. But listen to what Jesus says. But I have prayed for you. Peter's success after the trial, after the temptation, after the failure, depended upon the prayers of Jesus. And and James, writing in James chapter 5, verse 16, says, pray for one another that you might enjoy a congregation of health. Not free from medical problems, but free from the pressures of conflicts, free from criticism. A healthy congregation is one, my friends, that is maintained by people praying one for another, just as Jesus prayed for Peter, even though he knew he was going to fail. And I'm thankful for that. Because, my friends, sometimes I am so conscious of how I fail God that I'm so thankful that it is not my performance that gives me favor with God. It is his own grace. And I'm sustained by your prayers, and I trust you by mine. And so there you have this celebration of spiritual life. It begins with gratitude to God. We can sense what God is doing in one another's life. And so we're able to give God thanks for that. Now I want you to see the content. What is it that Paul heard? What is it that caused him in prison to be just full and overflow with thanksgiving and gratitude? Is it in verse 4? We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll look at those later on. Praying always for you since we heard, first of all, of your faith in Christ. The content of spiritual life is faith. Now when I say faith, I don't mean wishful thinking. I mean faith that responds, that trusts God because of his revelation of himself. And I put my trust in him. He, Christian's faith, has an object to it. I was trying to find it on the the, uh, internet. There's a song called, I Believe. Some of you are of my age, you will remember the song, I Believe. And, and I, I was thinking that I, several, several, several centuries ago, I was asked to sing that song at a funeral. And you know, when I finished singing that song, I thought, what did I just sing? Because the song says, I believe for every child that's born, there is one that, and right through, I believe, I believe, I believe. But it had no object. It just says, I believe. See, see, you have heard, you have heard. 
spirit politician saying it, haven't you? I believe that I can make this country great again. I believe, I believe. In, in fact, well, forget it. This is not faith in faith. Biblical faith has an object. And the object of biblical faith, I think, how appropriate what Art read tonight, uh, this morning. He, he, he read from Ephesians where Christ is seen as the one who gives substance to what we believe. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in Christ. Faith is how the Christian life begins. We get this in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in, that is to trust, in. But then when we find faith in Christ in Colossians, it is not faith in simply, it is faith that is resting in. One goes in. The second faith rests. That means that he continues to trust. He encounters all kinds of difficulties in his life. I was reading it this morning in my quiet time. The disciples, Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. And in the middle of the sea, there was a storm, and Jesus was fast asleep in the stern of the boat. And the disciples woke Christ up in panic. Don't you care, teacher, that we are perishing? And Jesus said, where was your faith? Their faith wasn't resting. Their faith was only good for good times. But God wants us to rest in faith as we have received Christ Jesus. So this faith, the, the preposition in here, is talking not so much about entering. It is the faith that is resting in. It has every confidence. And I told you this story before, but I think it, it, it bears repeating. When Dallas Theological Seminary was, was young, uh, and, and, and they had a difficult time, at certain points, some of the board of directors were called because they were thinking of having to close the school down because of, they were short of funds. And some of the leaders came from across the country. And one of them who came was Dr. Harry Ironside, who was at that time the pastor of the famous Moody Church in Chicago. And when the pastor, when the president of the church, of the, the school was going into the meeting, he told his secretary, please keep all phone calls. No one is supposed to disturb us because we are going to be making some decisions and we're going to be in prayer. And so they were praying. And Dr. Hironside prayed, Oh God, the school was raised up by you and you know the difficulties we are having. Oh God, your word says that you own the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. Oh God, would you not sell a few of those cattle and give us some of the money? <laughs> Almost at the same time, someone walked into the office 
went to the secretary and said, may I see the president of the school, please? He said, I'm sorry, he's busy. And he's asked not to be disturbed. He said, I have to see him. It is urgent that I see him. So reluctantly, the secretary went in and disturbed the praying group and called the president out to meet this man. And this man greeted him. And he said, sir, I'm a rancher. And we have decided to sell some of our cattle. And we have sold some and we have made some good returns and we want to give some of our money to the school. He ran, he ran into the prayer meeting and said, Harry, Harry, God heard he sold the cattle and we have the proof here. (laughs) Faith. See, he was resting. He was not not like the man who said, I believe, but I'm not going to take any risk. You know, you heard of him at Niagara Falls? The man was walking across on a tightrope, and he says, I can can push a wheelbarrow across. How many of you believe that? And many hands went up. And he says, okay, I want someone to volunteer to get in. (laughs) Nobody did. Faith, my friends, is that we begin to know God, that God becomes trustworthy when we are going through difficult times. Listen to what Joshua said. Not one word of his promises have failed. Not one. Faith is not wishful thinking. It's not I hope so. Faith believes what God says about himself in his word. We can trust him. And Paul heard about the faith that the Colossians, and by the way, whenever you have real faith, it will always be attacked. This is what happened to the Colossian church. Secondly, he heard of their love. And I thought, how appropriate. This is Valentine's Sunday, isn't it? Love. I want you to notice something in this, and I never noticed until I was studying, how comprehensive this love is. Listen to what he says. And the love you have for the majority of saints. Is that what it says? All. All the saints whether they're in your church or not, if you know they are saints because they believe in Jesus, you are to love them. Wow. This this uniqueness of Christian love, my friends, is nothing the world knows anything about. And you have heard it, so I'm going to give you an illustration of it. When Chuck Colson had been in prison... At the time he was in prison, his wife was going through a really difficult time with what had happened to him, his newfound faith. She was just confused, not knowing what she should do. His son was arrested for trafficking drugs. And in prison, Chuck became extremely, almost depressed. 
He had just found Christ. At that time, there was Senator Al Qui. Senator Cree was a senator from Minnesota. Chuck Colson had never met Senator Cree. Senator Cree was a devoted Christian. And he heard about what Chuck was going through. Guess what he did? Because he was a lawyer, he discovered that there was a part of the judicial system where someone could take the sentence for somebody else, and he went to Chuck Colson and said, Chuck, I know what you're going through, and I would like to spend the rest of your time in prison for you. Chuck Colson was so struck. He said, why would this man do such a thing? And he answered his own question. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I Love you. Can you th- can, is your love, my friends, that kind of a love? Is my love that kind of a love? To say that someone who is, who is going through a situation is such that they need a relief from that and therefore I am going to give myself as a substitute for that person? It is interesting. One of the people involved in Chuck Colson's life after he became a believer was a senator by the name of Senator Hughes. Senator Hughes was a Democrat. Chuck Colson was a devoted conservative, ultra-conservative Republican, serving in the hated cabinet of the President of the United States. Yet, you know who discipled Chuck Colson? Senator Hughes. That's love, friends. You see, we can talk about love, but love is always serving. Love is always sacrificing. Love is always accepting. It was the cause of of. Chuck to say, not, I'm sorry, it's, it's a cause of the early pagans to say of the Christian religion, behold how they love one another. We can feel something of our love for others, but my friends, it's not the feeling, it is the doing. I'm quite sure you've heard the statement, the proof of the pudding is in the what? The eating. I've heard of your love. I asked the question, what did people hear of Soderville Church this week? What did they hear of Winston Thurton this week? What did they hear about you this week? Have they heard of your love? And have you stirred them to the place where they become celebrating because of what they heard of you, what they heard of me? I heard of your faith. I heard of your love. Then we said, I heard of your hope. Hope. My friends, this is one of the things that's lacking at this present hour as I speak. Hope is not a part of this world system we're living in. (laughs) You know, a a year ago, it was the, the disease from Africa. 
this year is the disease from South America. <laughs> we're, we're, we're bundling up so we don't want to be bitten by one of those mosquitoes. And so our world, almost as, as if there's no excess at all. Hope, what is hope? What, how would you define hope? Biblical hope, my friends, is the joyful expectation and anticipation of what God promised. Uh, someone was saying to someone, oh, you Christians are always talking about pie in the sky by and by. And the person said, that's all right. I have a pie. What do you have? My friends, there might be a pie, but God promised it. And if God promised a pie in the sky, and that's where I'm going to get it, that's why I believe. Hope, my friends, rests upon this. Hope anticipates with joy what is yet to come. talked to a young man who was getting ready to get married and I don't need to call in the names. And the anticipation, the plans, the preparation. And none of the preparation says, oh, good night, I'm getting married and nobody gets married that way. You get married saying, on the 22nd of June, I'm at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, but it's raining. Oh, that's all right. Because I'm not concerned about the rain. I'm getting married. You know, know I'm talking about myself right here. And I, I remember when Lois and I went on our honeymoon night, we went to a hotel not too far from where it was raining cats and dogs. I mean, it was raining cats and dogs. I... To, to, to see ahead of us, we had to roll the window down and look to see the white line on the roads. And, and we, had our, we were able to get to the hotel. And the following day, they kicked us out. They had a dog exhibition. And there was no, the, the place had been, we had only booked it for one night. A second night we wanted to stay and they had a dog exhibition and they kicked us out because there was no room for us. And I said, I don't care. I have already won the prize. See, my hope was fulfilled. My hope about having, I anticipated and then on on that afternoon, Friday afternoon, the, 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 the faith was when we started to go together. The hope is that we would live together. And we anticipate. So hope anticipates with joy what is yet to come. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses um, um, 3 to 5. I don't have time to read that all right now. Hope anticipates trusting that what God says about himself. Listen to what it says. We don't know what it will be yet, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him. Hope anticipates seeing God. Wow. 
we will see him. And, and if, if that's a pie in the sky, I want that pie. To see him. For years and for centuries, people have been waiting to see the face of God. And I live this very moment as I speak with you, that I live in anticipation of seeing God. That's hope. Hope is not making up something and hope it will come through. Hope based itself upon the veracity of God. Because Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says that God who promised that I would see his face cannot lie. So God is not telling me a lie when he promises what is yet to come. An inheritance reserved in heaven for us who are kept. This faith is alive and it gives me the energy to live each day and to face each day with the sense that one day this will all come to an end and I will enter that which is forever. Hope. Paul said, when I heard of your hope, I couldn't help myself. I just bubble over with joy. You know, I, I keep thinking, and I, I don't say this politically at all, I, I really don't. As I was getting ready for bed last night and I looked at the news and noticed that Justice Scalia had died, I thought, oh my word, the one genuine judge who has some sense on, oh, better be careful here, this is a Canadian talking about the American Jewish system. But he's the one judge that makes sense with everything he does. He's gone. And I, I thought, I thought, I, I could think of someone else that should have died on that Supreme Court. Bill. I did, I said that. I could think of someone else. But listen, friends, listen, listen. May, may, may I read it for you? Psalm 12. I, I could repeat it, but I want you to know it's in the Bible. In Psalm 12, the psalmist is speaking. Listen to what he says. I'm sorry, 11, not 12, 11. In the Lord I take refuge... How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? See, things are falling apart. We've got to get out of this. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrows in the, upon the string. They shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. I don't even know where some of the attacks will come from in my life. And listen to what he says in verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? If Supreme Court Scalius dies, what will we do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Scalius can die, but God cannot. Wonderful as he is, he's not God. In Isaiah chapter 6, when King Uzziah died, the one hope for the nation, 
the text says, I saw also the Lord. Because kings and presidents and Supreme Court judges can die, but God cannot. God cannot die. He cannot lie. He cannot die. So the anticipation and hope is not what will we do. You know what hope says? What will God do? That's what hope says. Because hope rests upon the assurance I accept by faith and I anticipate in hope. Lastly, verse 5, the truth of the gospel. Paul says, when I heard of your faith, when I heard of your love, when I heard of your hope, all because of the truth in the gospel. You know, I, some of you may have heard this past week about the scientific discovery about the gravitational, gravitational wave. And oh my word, what are we going to do now? As one scientist said, now we'll be able to tell how things start. <laughs> one, another scientist said this, we have, we have discovered, we have discovered, I thought, oh, you almost have it right. Listen, friends, gravitational waves began in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 when it says the Spirit moved across the face of the earth. And then the psalmist tells us in verse 19 that it is so because it says the heavens are declaring, are telling. The heavens are talking about the glory of God in creation. And it might be true that they found this, but this is news to God. It's only to us. I love what Dr. Albert Moeller says. He says, the universe cannot explain itself. It needs someone to explain it. So whatever you discover can only tell you about other things you need to discover. Because I, as I listened to another young scientist talking, he said, now we will be able to, to, to study this and study that. And I thought, okay, how many more years? This one took 1.5 billion. How long will this one take? No, what? the gospel doesn't tell us about scientific discovery. It tells us why science is possible. Because God made an intelligent world and he made intelligent minds who can search out and an intelligent mind will look upon the creation, will talk about gravitational waves and pull and will say, some mastermind must be behind this. The gospel says, God made it all. God made it all. They can discover what they want. I remember several years ago, you remember Footprints in the Sand? It was a, a um, um, public television um, explanation for the, for the earth, and I, I, I wanted to know how it all started, so I sat down one night and, and listened to it. And then I realized why the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Because all they were talking about is perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. My friends, when we look in this word, the gospel of truth is this. 
that God speaks not scientifically, but spiritually, morally. The concern of the Bible is not scientific questions. It's not that the Bible isn't concerned. God made a world to be scientifically explored. But the Bible is concerned about moral, ethical, and spiritual concerns. And so the truth is, God speaks to my own personal needs. The truth is that God speaks to man's relationship or the lack of relationship with him. That's the gospel of truth. And when the gospel says to me that you are a sinner needing to be forgiven by God, that's truth. I don't want to take time to tell you what, what one scientist was doing at one point, almost eating the, 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 the I don't think of it, eating part of the, 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 the situation when a, ch- a child is born. And this, they had this on television. Science cannot tell that person if that is wrong or right, but it can tell them what they're eating. But can't tell them, can't make a moral judgment for them. Only God can speak to the moral, the moral concerns of a world, the ethical concern for a world. That's the reason the Bible says that justice for man comes from the Lord. And if we're going to look to man to try and produce for us what only God can, my friends, we will continue to ask questions, not only for time, but for eternity. The gospel of truth is what gave faith its content. The gospel of truth is what gives hope its anticipation. The gospel of love is the ground for loving. And the truth is in relationship with Christ. So the Christian life, or the blessed life as some call it, is made up of faith, love, hope, and truth. This is what it means to be spiritually alive. Do you have it? Are you full of faith in Christ this morning? Are you full of hope? Are you full of love? Are you banking your future upon this word? If so, my friends, you are spiritually alive. If you can't, you can be, because it begins by trusting Jesus Christ. This is how it begins. This is how it continues, and this is how it will consummate itself. I celebrate with you. And let me tell you now, there are things that I will celebrate with you as a congregation, and I do. But my friends, the greatest thrill that I have is when I know and hear and see the spiritual growth, the spiritual maturity, the spiritual pursuit, when I see that. That is what makes my heart joyful. Because I know that that is what will be on the other side. Other things we leave here, but our spiritual life will go with us where we're going. And I trust it is at the right hand of God. Let us pray. The celebration of the Christian life. It is because it is so unique 
No other religion, no other religion can boast of that. Only Christian, Christians can. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we take these few moments to reflect upon your word, that you will speak and we will do business with God right where we are sitting as the Holy Spirit speak to us concerning whether we have the Christian life or not. Seal your word, Father, to our hearts and grant to us, our God, the sure conviction that we have the spiritual life, we have the Christian life, because we have faith in your Son. We have the love of the Spirit in our hearts. We have the hope of the Scriptures. And we are banking on all that because of the truth for which we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.